Well, friends, last week we began a five-part series, though our members meeting is going to cut off one of those weeks, so it's going to be spread out over six weeks, uh, that I titled, I've titled, Only a Prayer Meeting. Only a Prayer Meeting. If you were here last week, uh, you'll remember where that title comes from. Let me just say this from the outset. If you weren't here last week, um, we recorded it. We're recording all of these, and we put it up on the church's sermon podcast. So it's on there somewhere in the middle of like David's sermon and my sermon from today. You'll find it on there if you want to go back and listen. Let me encourage you to go back and listen to it because it really provides the foundation for everything I want to get into tonight. But we're calling this series Only a Prayer Meeting based on a book, a collection of talks from Charles Spurgeon. There are a collection of talks that he gave to his church uh, on their prayer meetings, why they gathered, why they prayed together, and why they prayed together like they did. Uh, Charles Spurgeon titled the collection of his talks Only a Prayer Meeting as a jab uh, to those people in his church who would say that they weren't at the prayer meetings because they were only a prayer meeting. Spurgeon would say, oh no, but they are much more. And that's what I'm hoping to argue for in these talks, is that the prayer meeting of the church, gathering to go to God together, is necessary. It is essential for the life of the church. This is what Spurgeon himself said. He said, we shall never see much change in our churches till prayer meetings occupy a higher place. In that same quote, he talks about how, how can we expect a Pentecost? Now, I realize Pentecost is something special, but what he's getting at is how can we expect an outpouring of the Spirit and a working of God if we're not gathering together, going to Him in prayer, just as they were on the day of Pentecost? Last week, I outlined two of the main problems which hinder prayer in the local church. The first one was worldliness, a.k.a. we have better things to do. And the other one was faithlessness, a.k.a. does God really work when we pray? Does He actually hear us and does it really matter? But that solutions for those two things were, one, practical considerations. And I went through six uh, from Charles Spurgeon himself, and so I won't go rehash those tonight. But the other one, and the most important, the foundational one, was that looking to God should propel us to praying, not just individually, but together, knowing who God is. And that's really what I plan to do over the next four weeks as we gather and talk about these things, really outlining each of the types of prayer that we take up in our prayer meetings, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And my hope in that, my plan in doing this, the purpose is to grow your hunger for going to God together. Not just to grow your hunger in going to God, but to grow your hunger in going to God together. To put it this way, that we would have more prayers. So tonight, we're going to start by thinking about adoration. Adoration, prayers of adoration, also could be called prayers of awe, A-W-E, or prayers of praise. That's what we call them on Sunday mornings, our prayer of praise comes right after our call to worship. And we're going to think about the foundation of our prayers of adoration and prayer and how prayers of adoration actually provide the foundation for every other type of prayer that we pray. You notice in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a model prayer. He teaches us how to pray and how does he begin that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, I use King James Version, hallowed be thy name. Holy, exalted, lifted up, adored, awed, praise to your name. Everything that Jesus teaches us on prayer after that flows from it. 
And so tonight, I want to get at that. I want to get at why do we pray prayers of adoration and why are they the basis for every other prayer? Why, if you start with prayers of adoration, will it most often fix all of your other prayers? One, why is this true? And number two, how do we get there? One, why is it true? And number two, how do we get there? So why is it true? It's true foundationally. I'll just give you, show you my hand from the beginning. It's true foundationally because praise, prayers of praise, praising God, exalting God, lifting Him up. We're going to talk about at the very end what that actually is. Praise motivates all other kinds of prayer as we see God for who He truly is. To pray rightly, you have to know who you're praying to. And prayers of adoration get you there, if that makes sense. It also corrects prayer. I mentioned that a second ago. And there's two ways that it do, does this that I want to point out. The first one is that prayers of praise build a healthy soul. They build a healthy soul. C.S. Lewis really gets at this in his Reflections on the Psalms. He makes There's a chapter in the book, a, a note about praising where he, lined, he outlines some of these different aspects. But he, he starts by talking about a problem that he had when he came to prayers of praise initially as a young Christian. What he had a problem with was, was this realization, this thought that God seems like he needs us to tell him that he's great all the time. And how frustrating and how off-putting it is when you meet a man who constantly needs you to tell him that he's a great God. And Lewis thought, is this how God is? Does God need us to, to like bolster up his self-esteem? What changed his thinking about this? What set him right about it? It all changed when he began to think about the word admirable. Admirable. What do we mean when we say that something is admirable? Well, we mean that it is what? Worthy of admiration. It's worthy of enjoying. It's worthy of praise. It's worthy of saying, hey, that's really awesome. And so if God is the most admirable thing, entity, person, object in all of creation, then to admire and praise him, C.S. Lewis come to, came to understand, would be simply to wake up and see reality for what it is. That praising God is simply acknowledging the real world. What he got at was this idea that all enjoyment, all joy, and all feeling, this, 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 this pleasure always flows into praise naturally. I think about it like this. We, we see this in our own lives. I, I, Often I have conversations with people and they start telling me about something that awesome that happened to them. Or something awesome that they recently came across or, or some new gadget that they bought. They're really enjoying it and that joy always leads to praising it. I think about it this way, that if I was at a thrift store and I found some awesome bluegrass records. That's right. I'm going to text Megan about it. Look at what I found. And I'll send her pictures. She's like, I don't know who that is, and I don't really care. But I praise it because I found something that brings me joy. And what Lewis came to understand is that if God is the thing to be most enjoyed in all of the universe, then praise should be our natural response. He said it this way. Praise completes the enjoyment. This means if God is God, and I hope you think he is, 
we must praise Him and live or live in an alternate reality. That's really the two options. If God is God, we should either praise Him or live in an alternate reality, one of rebellion and denying Him who He really is. We can't just believe that God is great. We actually have to do something about it. We must exalt Him for who He is. We find that this brings our soul to health. Let me read to you a a bit of a quote here from C.S. Lewis about this. He says, I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced and capacious, you can go look that word up tonight, the most balanced minds are the ones who praise the most, while the cranks and the misfits and the malcontents praise the least. The good critics found something to praise in many imperfect imperfect works. The bad ones continually narrowed the list of books we might be allowed to read. The healthy and unaffected man, even if luxuriously brought up and widely experienced in good cookery, could praise a very modest meal. The despotic and the snob found fault with all. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Praise almost seems to be an inner health made audible. We don't just see that praising God helps us reorient ourselves to health, but it also reorients our loves themselves. Why would praise have such an effect on us? Because praise is the type of prayer that changes where we put our hope. It helps us change our trajectory. Such is each one as is his love, Augustine said. Such is each one as is his love. What he's getting at is this idea that our behavior is affected by what we love. But this gets at the main human problem, doesn't it, of sin. We praise and we put our hope and our joy and our praise on things that cannot handle it. We put our love, our ultimate love, our ultimate exaltation on people or on places even or on our stuff. And what happens? All of those things were not built to bear the weight of our praise and therefore they are crushed under it. And we are frustrated because of it. This is what Augustine says in his Confessions. Wherever the soul of man turns, unless towards God, it cleaves to sorrow, even though the things outside God and outside itself to which it cleaves may be things of beauty. Augustine is saying, even though things may be beautiful and wonderful, if you put your praise upon them instead of the one who made them, it will only find sorrow in the end. Theologian Jamie Smith says it this way. He has an entire book on this. It's committed to this thesis that to change people most profoundly, and I hope in the, in the most real way possible, not as manipulation or deceit, but we do want to see change in one another. We want to see ourselves change more into the image of Christ, not to, more in the image of each other. But most profoundly to change people, we must change what we worship. Thinking, arguments, and beliefs are crucial as means of moving the heart. But ultimately, We are what we adore. And so praise gets us there. It gets us there. 
It gets us to a place with a strong soul and a strong heart. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to that place where praise overflows in us? How do we get to a place where we spend the first 30 minutes of our prayer meetings just praising God and then we have to hurry through confession, thanksgiving, and supplication because we've just spent the entire time praising God? That would be okay. How do we get there? It's the same privately as it is corporately. We get to other types of prayer. We get to spiritual health by adoring God. And we adore God by seeing Him as He is. Matthew Henry has a little book. Not his commentaries. That's like, you know, huge. It's a brick. But he has this little book called A Method of Prayer. And in it, it's basically an encyclopedia of different prayers of the Bible. If you don't have a copy of it, I encourage you. It's cheap. You can get it on eBay or Amazon. Grab a copy. Because basically what he does is he just gives categories of prayers and different types of prayers. And then he lists the different scriptures for them. And, and it's a really great help in getting to prayers of adoration. But tonight, I just want to read you some of the headings that he has about who God is. I think it's a worthy way to spend our time. God is transcendently and infinitely bright, blessed, and beautiful. He is self-existent, depending on nothing for His being. Instead, all things are dependent on Him. He is an infinite and eternal Spirit, the only perfect One, the God of absolute glory and importance. God's perfections are matchless and without comparison. Those perfections include His eternal and unchanging character, His presence everywhere, His perfect knowledge of all things, His perfect unsearchable wisdom, His absolute irresistible power and sovereignty over all that happens, His unspotted moral purity, beauty, and holiness, and His justice, His inexorable judgment that will ultimately put all things right. God is creator God, the maker, protector, sustainer, and ruler of all creation. He is a God of truth, a speaking God with whom we may have a personal relationship. He is the covenant God who is faithful to his promises. He has bound himself to us that we might bind ourselves to him. He is the triune God, one and yet three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is not only our king, but our friend and spouse. Our hearts were made for him. To be our only joy. Friends, when we see who God is. Adoration. Praise. All springs out of our hearts. It's really simple. But it's exceptionally hard. Because we are surrounded. By so many things that say. Look at me. Praise me. Exalt me. Make much of me. And yet there's only one who we are called to lift up, to adore. And so we need one another in this. This is why prayers of adoration and praise mark the beginning of our prayer time. Whether that's on Sunday morning or that's on Sunday evening. Because we have to do this together. We have to fight the fight together. I was talking to my wife about this afternoon. It's a great point I should have made in my sermon this morning, so I'm going to make it right now. But do you realize that being a member of a local church is actually, at its very basis, worshiping God together? That's really all it is. And, and our church's statement of faith helps us to worship Him for who He actually is. 
And our church covenant helps us to worship him practically and actually in some, some real actual ways as the Bible calls us to. But at the end of the day, being a member of a local church just means that you're going to worship God together. And that's what we're here for. That's why we have these prayer gatherings. The, the, the thing that, that burdens me the most as a pastor, when, when, I, when I don't see folks, and, and you know, people are here or there, people get sick, go on vacation, what have you. The thing that burdens me the most as a pastor is their spiritual health. I pray for your physical health. I pray that you prosper in your jobs and you prosper in your parenting and you prosper in your friendships. The thing that keeps me up at night is how are people doing spiritually? That's what we're here to gather for. And it begins with adoration. When we praise God together, we are rightly ordering ourselves together. Let us take this up and see what he might do. Let me pray for us now. Father God, we do ask that you would help us to see you and to adore you for who you are. We pray and we ask that you would help us to glory in you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That we would glory and exalt and lift up. God's God's words escape us to magnify you to the place that you deserve in each of our hearts, the place that you dwell in holiness and glory. So God, grow us in this, we ask. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his kingdom. Amen.